Welcome to the Rock Your Life Show. Where questions meet answers. The profound meets the mundane. And we help you rock rock your your life. life. We are your hosts, the Vignatis. I'm Tracy. And I'm Fabrice. Well, we are in the middle of the summer. It's August, which means Europe has shut down. So uh, don't order anything online from Europe because you won't get it till October, November. <laughs> you won't? No, no, no. Oh. We tried that with a, a tablecloth. Oh, vacation city the whole entire month. Yeah. The whole, all of Europe shuts down. Yeah, that's what it is. But America is is awake and alive. Always. We always. And uh and, and this is where the uh, Rock Your Life Show podcast comes from. Oh, you bet. Mm-hmm. And we have, oh my God, we have a fun topic today. And we have a, a really super great guest. We're so excited. Yes. So we wanted to do something. Um, being artists, it's always about the artist's perspective. So we wanted to show a perspective of behind the scenes. Yes, because uh, obviously to make good music uh, and to accomplish something uh, good, you always have to have the front uh, 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 people and then the uh, people who are supporting, but actually, to me, it's always think I always think that it's the contrary. The stars are the people that are behind the scene. They are the people who make it happen. And so today, for this topic, do you want to say what the topic is? Yeah, it's a uh, inside the recording business. Yes. You know, people think. Oh, you hear a recording, but you don't really know what it takes, what goes into making that happen. It's not old school, hit a record button, and then everything just magically gets recorded. And they have to deal with so much more from the artist than just moving a bunch of knobs. Yes. And uh, let's introduce... Oh, my God. Okay. So today's guest is an internationally recognized audio engineer and producer who has applied her magic to many iconic records, including Asia by Steely Dan and Breakfast in America by Supertramp. She's the first female engineer on record to receive a platinum album for Blondie's Auto American album, which includes the very first hit rap song with music, ta-da, Rapture. Everybody's heard that. She's also a post-production audio professional specializing in recording and editing Foley sound effects, which I think is the coolest thing on earth. Sure. For many films and animated series, supervising foreign dialogue and vocals for animated features like Shrek and Shrek 2, who doesn't love those, and Spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron. She archives and repairs audio, instructs, consults, I could use that (laughs) and holds workshops for audio students, singers and songwriters. And she's a longstanding voting member of the Grammys in the producers and engineers wing of the Recording Academy, the Audio Engineering Society, Sound Girls and others. She enjoys working in both analog and digital formats and is currently exploring spatial immersive audio recording Mm. for music and sound healing. Please welcome Lenise Bent. Hi, Lenise. Hello. Thank oh you, God. everybody. So good to be here with you. Oh, my God. We're so excited it's to have you. It's such a treat. You know, um, uh, we've always had a special connection. And um, the fact that uh, I just remember when I first heard you and heard you perform and we met and I said, I have to record you someday. And guess what? I got to... Re- have you, Fabrice, uh, you. on one of my favorite records that we've done with uh, Clara Bellino, um, yeah. French artist. Uh, anyway, it's just such a treat to be with you again. And so thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Oh, no, thank you. We, oh, my gosh. We had this planned for a while. Ladies, yeah. and <laughs> we just didn't tell you about it. We didn't tell told you, but it you was didn't know you making, were going to be doing this. So it was in the making for us for many months because oh, we wow, wanted to really we wanted oh, to have your opinion. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. And, and so the one of the main reasons, of course, why why we wanted to have you is because we know that the industry is a hard industry for women. It's like I would say, let's say example, Formula One, there's not there's no women driver. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to have you and what you accomplish, we just heard it, it's so interesting for us. And for the listener, 
because you're breaking ground, you're bringing new ideas, and you're bringing things probably that somehow, even if the topic is not really, um, the, the point of being a woman or a man is not really the most essential things, it's kind of like breaking ground. Mm. So we wanted you to talk about that. But we have a few questions, if you don't mind, that don't we mind at all. for you. Ask away. Yes. Ask away. <laughs> so thank you for being with us. That's My very pleasure. appreciated. So the first question, you want to go for it, Tracy? Well, how did you start in the recording business and being such a heavily male-dominated field? Well, um, you know, uh, things just kind of fell into line, I have to say. Uh, I grew up here in Los Angeles and uh, in Compton, actually. I'm a homie. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. And um, way back then, uh, they had orchestra uh, for children, New Symphony Orchestra. It was a wonderful school system. And so um, my brother and myself were in this um, festival orchestra and learned how to read scores and perform and we actually were recorded then were you playing violin or I was playing I was playing flute flute oh okay and he played trumpet and um so uh and then we were also because we lived near Hollywood where um our parents signed us up for the screen children's guild which was um you know legal child labor but oh boy was that ever fun where uh, any productions tv shows movies whatever where they needed kids they would pull from this screen children's guild um it was an agency, and so we got to work on different TV shows. He was, he was in The Birds. Um, Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock. Hitchcock. That was his very first job. Oh, yeah. Wow. He was in the um, um, birthday party scene. But if oh, you okay. blink, you'd miss him. But he was eight years old, and so we started back then. Um, and so being around technology and um, was fascinating. I was studying film. Um, uh, in college, I went on to do that. However, I, uh, my family's not professionally musical. We've got some professional music relatives, but, um, you know, there's always music in the house, and we were always performing all kinds of music. And uh, and then my, my boyfriend um, had a band when I was 13. And, and What boyfriend didn't? Yeah, right, right. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, so they would play things. So there used to be this thing called the Teenage Fair at the Hollywood Palladium that oh, a lot wow. of people... Oh, yeah, during Easter week, so many people played there. I saw so many people. Um, Leon Russell and the shelter people played there. Um, uh, I remember... Um, oh, a special guest was going to come this one night and it was got to be 10 o'clock and I had to be home because I was a teenager and I heard on the radio it was Jimi Hendrix oh no come on stage yeah and they had different stages all around the palladium and it was all about music and kids and everything so um we'd go to that but um uh I was fascinated with music always and um as well as technology I was always you know wanting to build models, and I'd take my flute apart and put it back together all the time. It was just something that, you know, made me happy. And uh, so one day, um, this boyfriend, as we got older, um, his guitar player, Roger, said, oh, I just got this gig um, engineering for Leon Russell at his house. He has a home studio. You, you should come over and see it. Well, back then, this was uh, early 70s, and nobody had a home studio, really, wow. because it was expensive. It took up sure. lots of real estate. Um, you usually didn't get a, a record deal unless uh, you'd proven that you were worth investing in. So it wasn't like today with technology. Anybody can make a record off their iPhone if they want. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like that back then. So to, for somebody to have a... Home studio. Uh, a home studio like that. Uh, besides, I was a huge fan of Leon Russell. And um, here, you know, famous for being in the Wrecking Crew, but also a great 
musician with Joe Cocker and Mad Dogs and Englishmen and the concert for Bangladesh. He was a musical programmer for that and or director and all just many hits on his own. And um, so, boy, right after school that day, uh, I hot-tailed it over to Encino where Leon had the studio and uh, rang the doorbell and and Leon actually answered the door himself. Wow. I was sure his somebody in his staff would do it. So I almost fainted. Literally, my <laughs> knees my knees got weak, just like in the in those songs. Awesome. And um, um, but he said, "Oh, you must be Roger's friend. Come on in." And uh, I I walked in and I just heard all of this music coming out of where a dining room supposed to be. He would converted this house into wow. a studio. And I looked in, and there was a console, and there was a 40-track Stevens tape machine. You know, there's only three of those were ever made. And, uh, oh, and outboard gear and speakers and just the sound of the music coming out of there. Uh, he was 21 tracks of background vocals of his what? wife. It's, it was like angels were singing, oh, and it was gosh. my epiphany. And yeah. I just said... Oh my God! Show me how to work this thing. I wow. this is it. I I got goosebumps telling you oh about it. Oh my God! This is and, crazy. Um, and so the next day, I dropped out of university, <gasps> found a recording school, and signed up, and then went home and told my parents. Oh boy, that and was a good conversation. <laughs> actually, it was. Wow, it, good for you. That's whether, not how it went down for I, I me. Mean, but <laughs> I was prepared for anything, uh, but. My wow. dad was a dean of an aerospace university oh, called boy. Northrop University, which was like a technical school, wow, too. So he understood that concept, and he understood, and he said, you know, okay, go for it. And, um, wow. You related to it. Yeah. he Thank God, because I was going to do it anyway. Um, I was just so... Focus. Yeah. I mean, I just knew this was what I had well, to do. Well, I could have used him when I changed majors and had that conversation with my dad. Oh, <laughs> that did oh. not go well. Well, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I was changing majors. I was trying to do the right thing and all, and I was never finding my place in college. I was going to college even in high school because I was so bored with yeah. high school. They said, well, if we... If you go to, if we put you in college, will you like go to class? And I said, sure, okay. And so, um, but I didn't really know what it was I wanted to do. And psychology wasn't it, and business wasn't it. And then I sort of pointed to um, uh, the audio, uh, you know, like the, the, the dweeb class where you have the, um, uh-huh. you know, who are those people? I can't think of the name right now, where, you know, you, you, you roll the projectors around and bring them into the classroom. Oh, so. the audiovisual people. Yeah, the audiovisual yeah, yeah, yeah. department. Oh, of course, they were the dorkiest people. Yeah, well, the, so they, they were one of the dorkiest. Yeah, well, yeah. that that resonated I w- I with me. With that too. Yeah, resonated with me literally. You know, gear and stuff like that. But I did not know at that time. I'd never really thought about or knew how records were made and how these things that I loved and listened to all the time. Uh, it, never occurred to me that that was actually a, a thing you could do for a living. Yeah, I bet, I bet. And I'd never been in a recording studio. Oh, plus it was a home studio, so you figure out that's how we do it. Well, when once I saw the, that Leon's control room and the studio, and then um, I got to see some other studios soon after that, real ones like Paramount and, and Capitol and... Um, but when I saw Leon's, I, that's when it was like, oh, my God, uh, you mean people get paid to do this? Of course they do. Somebody has to do this. Why it, Me. I have to do this. This is my calling. So, um, yeah, so I went to uh, Sound Masters Recording School, which was like one of the only recording schools around at the time. And I was there was the first night of class, it was... Me and fifty guys. Of course, of course. But I didn't. It didn't occur to me because uh, that that was a problem. I have three brothers. I my dad was technical. Um, it was just kind of. I was very comfortable around guys, and so I didn't care. Um, yeah, it folks. really didn't intimidate me at all. But, uh, but that's unusual. Yeah. Uh, and when I look back, uh, I guess maybe I was 
being protected or something, so I would move forward. You know, my my spirit guides or whatever were oh, of course. were Great helping points. me move forward. Well, I was so motivated that there wasn't anything that I could imagine that would keep me from doing this. And just because it was mostly guys was not that big of an issue in my head right. um, at the time when I started going to class. And uh, also as I would study in class, then I would also look for opportunities to go to studios to meet with other um, engineers. Fortunately for me, um, I had Roger over at um, Leon Russell's house with the studio. And if I didn't understand something I heard in class the night before, I could go over there the next day because I dropped out of university. So that my, my daytime school time, I could practice over at Leon's and, and Roger would say, okay, this is this is what a compressor does, and this is what a limiter does, and this is what gating is, and, you know, here's equalization, and here's a passive equalizer, and here's an active equalizer, and all these different things, you know, condenser microphones and dynamic microphones, two microphones, ribbon microphones. Uh, I got to really practice what I was learning in class, and um, I just want to give a little aside and thank you to Roger, um, he was uh, like 18 at the time and a great guitar player and songwriter, but also um, working on what he called his little invention, which was the Lynn drum. It was Roger Lynn, the first drum sampling machine. Lindrum. Whoa. So it was Roger Lynn who, um, besides going to recording school, I had him in his brilliance... Um, Wow. providing an opportunity and teaching me to be an engineer. So he was a mentor for you. Major mentor. Wow. The very, he was like a year younger than me, but um didn't matter. The very interesting thing is that you, you signed up straight for the school and then you were put it in practice right away into a home studio. Well, I had to because that first night in class, I'm they sure were talking about amplitude and velocity and, oh. and the Doppler effect and phasing and, and complex waveforms and... It was like Chinese to me, and I panicked. And Bet. so I still at, right after class, I called him going, oh, no, you know, because I, I thought, I, I thought yeah, exactly, <laughs> I thought, oh, I have. Psych 101, I am, please, I can I get an A. <laughs> so screwed. Over my head. Yeah, I've dropped out of university, and I'm taking this class. I have no idea what it, this is. And, and I literally was panicking when I called him. I could hardly talk. And and he goes, come over. So the next morning, that's when I went over, and we—that's how I started. So, because they didn't really start recording till the afternoon, so I could go over in the morning, and Roger would already be there, and then I could practice. And then, uh, my boyfriend, uh, Robert Fleischman, was the lead singer of this band, Um, and. so they'd record, and I'd get to record them, and I'd get to practice my craft there. Wow. Uh, and also in the school, uh, it was before they had, like, brick-and-mortar recording school, so there wasn't um, a building that they had built a studio for the school in. So our labs were in actual studios, like Conway Recording Studio. Oh, yeah. Capitol Recording uh-huh. Studio. Oh. So that's – we our hands-on was real – studios as well so that uh that was really important too so um between all of that and then uh once I graduated um I knew that the way I wanted to do this because you could either um become an engineer sooner by uh working in a smaller place and um, working on smaller projects or whatever, but I I knew in my head, especially with the caliber of musicianship that was showing up at Leon's house. I mean, there'd be George Harrison, there'd be Joe Cocker, there would be oh. you know um, all of these great session players. All of the, you know the music that was being created there uh, yes. was the best there was, and and so I knew I wanted to work with the best musicians 
on the best uh, in the best studios with the best equipment on the best music with the best engineers and the best producers and what that would mean was that maybe I wouldn't get in that engineer's chair as soon as somebody who went right out of school and said you know let me run your tape machine or let me work in right. your studio I I knew I wanted to learn from the best. So I was actually an assistant engineer for like three years. Okay. Which at that time was a little bit longer and um, than a lot of my colleagues. Um, of course, one of the records that I was put on during that time, well, I, uh, I got a job at the Village Recorder, which nice. is now called Village Studios. Mm-hmm. And um, a wonderful aspect of it was that there were um eventually four women assistant engineers i the day i was hired another woman barbara isaac was hired and there was already one girl in assistant um terry becker and then a couple months later carla frederick was um hired so there were four out of the six assistants were women because the owner jordy hormel um, who was a musician and an eccentric and Hormel, you know, spam and all that. He's from oh, that dynasty. That can meat company or whatever. Yeah. Well, oh, wow. and chili and ham. Oh, okay. And, but so he had built this studio in 1971 and there were three rooms. And, uh, at that time he felt that, um, women would be excellent in the studio because we were, he felt that women were more organized, uh, we were more nurturing, our egos wouldn't get in the way of, um, you know, and maybe that's kind of sexist and all of that, but um, it worked really well um, in our sessions. They uh, enjoyed having the female energy in there and a little estrogen and not all testosterone well that's yeah. very innovative for its day it was it i mean was. think about it that was it, well cool. and i don't think it uh, there weren't that many women assistants or engineers at that time either so uh, anywhere else what a unique circumstance so yeah so uh, so my perspective was a little skewed in that way I because i thought well you know here's these women here um and I really wasn't aware of the fact that it was unusual. I see. Maybe at other places it'd be like, uh, we might hire you as a second. I don't know if they did. I wasn't around then. But, you know, go get our coffee. Well, we had to do all that. There weren't really interns or anything. We had to chop the vegetables. Yeah. But we also set up the mics. and we And we controlled the back then you had track sheets and mm-hmm. tape label boxes of you know you had to run the tape machine and quite often you you know if you showed that you could the engineer would often say great you know you do the overdubs I'm you know I'm gonna go do something else that I need to do and um basically the assistant's job was to make the engineer's job a lot easier and so if you did that as the assistant or the second engineer that um that really helped you move forward faster and um so fortunately uh also at that time it was an amazing time in music let's just look there the mid 70s um yeah a lot of great music a lot of big budgets Sure. A lot of wonderful bands. So, and like I mentioned earlier, the caliber of the talent that would come into a studio at that time—you, you didn't really get into a studio um, to record unless there was money behind you. Meaning your talent and whoever you are has has demonstrated to a record label that you're worth investing in, I see. because that's it was expensive yeah. to record and to record well. And so um, there was a lot of wonderful music being recorded, and a lot of it was being done at the village. So I got to work with my very first day as an assistant. I was actually, my first day, I assisted um, Terry Becker, the other assistant, so I could observe. I did that for a few weeks until I got the, you know, 
the groove of what it was I needed to be doing as an assistant. Um, my very first day was with Alice Coltrane. Oh. The, um, Alice Coltrane. Yes. John yeah, Coltrane's. Um, John Coltrane's amazing widow pianist. Yes. Uh, yeah, and it was a tracking date, which back then meant all the musicians were there, the drums, bass, guitar, keyboards, of course, her. And um, so it was a room full of microphones and music stands and chairs and, and a room full of music coming out through the console. And um, yeah, so it was it was the perfect place for me based on what uh, my vision was for how I wanted to... Your future, shape uh, your future. You know, my career to, to take off. And uh, I was so in tune to so much music that... Um, I was familiar with so many of the artists that were coming in there, and so it was it was wonderful to be able to actually work with them. And you know, I worked on the last waltz with the band, and I worked uh, like I said when I heard Steely Dan was coming in, and they asked me if I wanted to do it, or you know, they were looking for the assistant for the Steely Dan project, and they said, you know, it's, it's going to be a long project, and I just went, that's. Fine. That's okay. And um, to make sure that they chose me or that I would be the one, um, I had a friend who worked at Warner Brothers. And so I said, get me all of their records. Because back then, you couldn't just download anything or have access. You couldn't stream music like that. You had to have listened to their music and their records. And so... He brought me all of their records from their vault, that um, you know, promotional records. So I learned every single Steely Dan record from uh, Countdown to Ecstasy to up to um, Royal Scam and everything in between. And I knew all the songs, who played on them, where it was recorded. Um, I just, homework. I did, yeah, I learned it all. So I would understand their yeah. sound i would understand what as much as i could about them let, let, let me tell you there's a lot to understand about donald and walter but oh, um, i'm sure of that but anyway so i got the gig wow. and uh do you think that may have been um i know you've mentioned before that when you kind of look at projects kind of like in a holistic manner do you mm -hmm. think that may have been part of your way of how of maybe uh, the beginning of that kind of approach? Because you're kind of getting to know them through listening to the music and knowing all the components that were involved in making that record. Um, well, I just knew for me that was the kind of that's what resonated with me was the music um, and the quality of the music and the sound of the music and the how it was recorded and what kind of ambience. And, you know, I was critically listening to what the bass sounded like mm -hmm. and what uh, the drums sounded like. and Like from a sonic perspective? Sonic, oh, well, okay. yes, sonically. And so uh, how did they achieve that? And it, I wasn't so fascinated with gear and and all of that I was fascinated with sound and the sound that the gear could create and so how did you get that digital delay or what microphone did was used on this um, and each engineer that I worked with had their own toolbox quote-unquote of, of how they approached getting sounds that they liked and and so the things that I liked, I would include that, yeah, okay, I'm going to use that again. Or if there were things I didn't like, um, I didn't, yeah, I'd say, okay, that's that's not so much for me. Or, you know, you can't help that. And then as far as microphones went, um, of course, we had to, you know, list what mics we were going to use on the drums and all that. You know, they'd give you a, a mic list and all But you got to have an intuitive awareness mm. after using them what the mics would make something sound like the yeah. qualities of the mics and i have to admit i'm i'm not uh really um tech as technical as a lot of engineers because i just uh record 
uh, in a way, like you said, um, on one of my field. dear friends called it, uh, uh, her name's Piper Payne, and she said it so well, it's somatic recording. She's a mastering engineer, an excellent mastering engineer. And when I read that in one of her interviews, I just said, that's it. That's the word for me because I know when I've got the the bass sound right or I, or the kick drum right or whatever, I feel it in my body. And it's because we listen not just with our ears. Our whole body right. listens. We're re- receptors. And we hear many frequencies with our bodies that are too high or too low for our ears to listen to. We resonate okay. uh, with everything. So um, that's how, that's been my guide. You know, I just use my ears, but I use my body too. And I'll be, you're, you know, you listeners can't see this, but I'm I'm pretending I'm turning a knob on so a you're, console. You kind of <laughs> channel something. You will you allow your life to decide what the right thing is. Like it's it's more of a, a global thing. It's not like oh, I read that that mic will be perfect for this. You rely on your life to decide. Well, there's a lot of that too, and I have to admit, when I'm in a studio and have a new assistant or whatever, I know at this point in my life. Uh, for vocals on, and listening to the quality of the singer's voice, say, uh, I'll say, okay, based on what I know and you have used, I'm going to use, I'm going to try out this mic, this mic, this mic, and this mic. And then I always like to ask my assistant, so uh, you're on other sessions lately. Uh, what's your favorite mic or what do you see other people using? What do you think would be a good one to try as well? that we don't already have up there. And uh, because that's one of the cool things about being an assistant engineer in a studio like that is that you get exposed to so many different styles of recording and music and techniques and gear. Um, What Roger Nichols would use for Steely Dan would be something completely different that... um, you know, Ken Calais would use for Fleetwood Mac, perhaps. Right. And um, so um, that's a, a really cool thing. If you're assisting them, then you get exposed to all of that, where if you are the engineer yourself and you go on and you get kind of, I wouldn't say stuck in your ways, because um, we're always learning and always trying new stuff yes. and new how to get new sounds and how, you know, Depends on um, what you're recording, but um, uh, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, you don't know about until somebody mm-hmm. brings it up to you. So, um, well, it's like a reciprocal. So it's both ways. And then you, yeah. you, and then you listen to it and then you know, aha, that's, uh, that's the mic and that's where it's supposed to go. Because anybody has something to offer. Just because this, the assistant may not know as much knowledge as you doesn't mean that they can't bring something to the table. It's like, it seems to me like a reciprocal relationship and you have to keep your, your meridians Mm -hmm. open Mm -hmm. to what that person is going to offer you. It works both ways. Yeah. Like a two, it's a two way street. Oh, I totally depend on, um, my assistants and so many of them through the years have gone on to become just wonderful, uh, engineer studio owners and I get to produce while they engineer because I do more production or, or producing of artists now um, yes. as well as being, you know, the engineer. It's, those those um, roles have become um, hybrid where we, d- we can yes. do all of those things. But yeah. quite often... For me, I'm. I would much rather somebody be the Pro Tools operator and, you know, setting up the sessions and doing all that stuff, um, so I can communicate and create and inspire and mm-hmm. capture mm-hmm. performances by the artists. Right? You've yeah, seen, we did. I've seen how I was, I worked. If I was at the board, and, yeah. uh, and <laughs> I wasn't there. That's right. That's right. It was. It was amazing. So, I'm um, sure. Because you said there's the two, um, and by the way, people, I told you we into. Historic, we she's here and she's gonna <laughs> tell you some stories. I told you it's deep, so you in for a treat. Um, because you are uh dealing with the technical part, yeah, and you are dealing with the uh humanistic part, 
The creative right. part. Yeah. The creative part. Very creative. So the question I have is, can you explain your process when you get, let's for example, a project? And you, of course, you know all your technical you're going to have in the project. You're going to have to, uh, on the spot or before as a pre-production, you're going to have to deal with the technical. But when it comes to connect it with the artist, that's an unknown for you, especially if it's an artist that mm. you don't know. Mm. So when, when I, how do you operate um, are you applying the same technique, this holistic or this intuition you have with the gear, with the artist, or it's totally different? Well, um, what, how I approach it is that uh, I develop a relationship with that artist. If, um, for, if it comes up where there is somebody who wants me to engineer produce them uh and or i I hear uh in a club or something a band somebody playing like with you guys we're we have to work together someday somehow um uh that that's the beginning that's the start i have to be passionate and like that project for me to be the right engineer producer for the project because if that music and those people don't, we don't connect. Yes. I'm not the right person well, for them. Well, let me ask you this part then. Mm-hmm. What if it's a project where the label wants you and it's kind of, you're going to do it. What if you're not connecting and what if you're not feeling it? How do you get over that? Um, at this point in my career, uh, well, you know what? I've had very little of that. I, wow. I have to say because again, it's a it's helpful for everybody yeah. if there's a relationship because you know how intimate and difficult it is to create and make this baby yes. together this creation uh, even when everybody is one big love fest and huh. um, you do connect and get along. There's always going to be creative challenges and personality challenges and, and um, uh, some more than others. And so if I'm just doing it because it's been assigned mm-hmm. to me and um, just so I can make money or whatever it is or they want to have my name on it, I did one like that and it just was wrong. Wow. And then it didn't turn out well for any of us, um, they, you have to have trust, yeah, and you have to have respect for each other and the project and the music. You're going in to do this together. There's not one person going, okay, it's my way or the highway, and I want you to do it this way, whether you like it or not, because that it comes across uh, in th- in, in the, the final product yeah. or w- in the performance, and to me, that isn't what makes me happy. Right, and that's a main thing. I need to be happy to um, doing what I'm doing. We should all choose that as a goal. To whatever it is you're doing, it should be something that makes you happy. So um, the projects I work on have that intense potential. A huge potential for that, and um, and it usually works out. There's only been a very few times where it didn't work out, and um, and I was very sad about that um, because it seemed like such a good idea. But mostly, what caused the issues was uh, lack of communication. Lack of communication. Yeah. So, you know. So you are you misunderstanding. Are. You are definitely dealing with the tech. Uh, I mean, it's two parameters in mm-hmm. the life of your life and your career is the humanistic part and then definitely the technical part. And you have to master both of those mm-hmm. as two, a producer two, or two, engineer. It's yeah, a yin two and sides yang. of the brain. Two yeah. sides of the brain. It's a yin and yang approach. And you yeah. know what? It's sort of like dating. The person <laughs> on paper mm-hmm. could be perfect. Yes. This is going to be a perfect project dating project he's got the this and the this and the that but it's just you're not feeling it well and there has to be the chemistry right. uh, again um you know when uh, somebody approaches me or i approach them 
Um, then there's uh, a period, yeah, of it's like dating. If, yeah. Since you're going to put it like that, um, you have a talk on the phone for a while. You get to know each other. Mm-hmm. You get to know the backstory or just based on uh, the music that they've sent you. Um, and then you find out, um, you know, what is it that I can help you with or whatever, you know, where do I come in? Yes. And um, then you build this relationship. You get to know each other and you get to know the intention. And because as a producer, uh, uh, you have to have those human skills and that human interaction because anybody can learn how to run Pro Tools. Anybody can learn to be technical. Anybody can do that. But if nobody wants to be in the same room with you or you don't, you're not a, an asset to the session or the creative process, then you're not going to get anywhere, you know. So you have to be somebody that people want to be around, mm-hmm. that you have the the enthusiasm and the passion and, and the excitement. And it kind of has to be genuine. You, you can't... Um, make that up yeah well do you think that um well do you have any tools or have you developed these personal tools that have helped you sustain in this competitive field i mean like things maybe like passion or patience or a spiritual practice anything to help you stay grounded so that you can when you find those connections with people that you can develop them and make their vision and your vision collectively come to fruition. Yeah. Um, one of the main things that I do, and you witness this, is I engage yes. everybody because the reason they're there, like in the project that um, you and I worked on for recent was uh, there were three elements that were necessary for the musicians that uh, I contracted for the, these four tunes that we were going to do. One of them Oh, this is funny. Uh, one of them was that they uh, had to be able to read a score and read music. And one of them was that they uh, hopefully were multi-instrumentalist. Uh, um, and the third, as equally important, is they had to be kind. Mm. Everybody had kind. to be kind. Now. Wasn't that a yes. great session? Weren't yes. they all wonderful, wonderful people? You guys all, uh, you know, supported each other. Uh, some had strengths here where others had weaknesses there, and you all collaborated and made it happen beautifully. Yes. And um, the, 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 the 12 hours went, like, yeah. so easy. That's how you know it's right. Yeah, it know? was right. It was so right. I mean, you. it was amazing. It, I told her... Uh, I, t- I told Phil, uh, oh, yeah. I told Phil, I said, man, she can bring the right people together. Well, and that class, was, all of that. well, and that was, uh, boy, Phil Parlapiano, what, what an amazing guy. That guy was um, so kind. He was so wonderful. Well, what we did uh, and what I like to do, I like to work with real musicians playing real instruments and playing together. That's what makes me happy? I like to record them all together. Um, I know so many uh, people these days record one instrument at a time, and um, for me, that doesn't make me as happy as recording yeah. everybody to get the basic tracks. Now, then, to do overdubs that's and all of that—that's sure. that's different. But to yes. to capture the essence of those songs first. So that's why I like to work um, with real musicians, and typically how I like to plan it is book the studio so I have um, set-up time the day before, and the musicians come in, and they're paid for that to rehearse, to um That's where they make in. their connections. So uh, they get to, to play around with the songs and get to get their sounds and get their stuff set up, so... And get a feel, and any issues that might come up uh, can be hopefully over, dealt with before the downbeat the next day. And again, that's where where Phil came in. There were uh, some issues with with scoring that were difficult for some of the people to deal with. Yes, and um, well. he went home and he wrote out everything. Oh, and wow. even though we had already written out scores he 
took it home and he created all of this stuff all on his own. We, nobody asked him to yeah, do it. And um, so it was fantastic. When we got in there, um, everybody had already developed a relationship with each other, yes. uh, a professional relationship and and so many things you found out you had in common like you and Clara were you know from the same part of the French Alps yeah who knew that would be the case that's crazy so this is the magic that happened so we had a rehearsal I got all my mic levels and all of that so we came in the next day and also what we did that's maybe a little different than women may do than uh men men sessions uh Clara, who came to stay at my house, the artist, that night we went home and we cooked and we prepared all of this food. And remember, we brought it yes. into the kitchen. There was food throughout the day. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, this is a total woman thing. That's and, something I would do, and, for it was, sure. It definitely. Yeah, and we just yeah. fed everybody, made sure that all their any of those needs were met. And it was so much fun because... Uh, Typically, when you record a session and and you have some of the session uh, musicians' parts are, are finished, they leave. But remember, it, nobody left, yes, and it was we were doing rough mixes at ten thirty at night, and people, the the drummer um, Richie, yeah, yeah Richie, um, he stayed the whole time, yeah. even though he wasn't going to be doing well, any overdubs. Well, everybody. everybody loved the vibe, mm-hmm. and that just proved that. It's we that had you don't such... want it to end feeling. Yes. You know, because I have recorded in my jazz days with some A-list guys, mm-hmm. like top of their field, Peter Erskine being one of them. Oh, yes. He is perfect. Isn't he wonderful? And he's a humanistic guy. He does what's best for the song, make the artist comfortable. Then I've had situations where... That's not the case. And well, you yeah. can't wait, and you're on eggshells, and yeah. you can't wait for them to get out of the room. It's a hot time. Yes. Yeah. You know, and that's why you're right. You have to have that connection, that chemistry, that it's just like a hand in glove feeling. Yes. And then it makes the hours pass like minutes. Yeah, well, and see, that was, uh, remember, as I was talking about being an assistant engineer and, um, to, you know, building up your toolbox, those were the skills. Those were the things I was learning um, from, you know, how to really produce, how to nurture artists, yeah. how to create those, keep that relationship going in the studio um, to achieve the goal yes. and to inspire a performance or get people to feel the feeling that you want to capture mm-hmm. and play together. And um, that's... Uh, that's an acquired skill. I learned from several different people, and I saw where that was the most important thing that was happening. You could have a, you know, a really cheap microphone and <laughs> capture a fantastic yeah. performance. Hopefully, everything is in place, but the performance is and the song is better than anything else. That, I mean, that's the most important part because. If you don't have a great song or performance, it, just because it's recorded really well in a really good studio by really good musicians, if it's not a great song, and if it's not a compelling performance yeah. that, that the end listener can relate to and have an emotional response to, then it's not a great song, period. Yeah. And it's not going to go anywhere. Def- definitely. So you have that tool, that technical toolbox, and yes. then you have that humanistic toolbox yes. that over the years in your career you are you have compiled. Yes. And you can definitely rely on. To, yes. Well, to, those are the skills, and that's what I said. Having uh, engaging the artists and the uh, musicians and um, showing respect, and also developing a trust. Because if somebody doesn't trust me um, to do what I feel is best mm. for their project, um, then that we're not going to get very far. Uh, one of the main things when I agree to become uh, to take on a project and be an engineer or producer for it, the producer part mostly, uh, one there are two things that I become. I become uh, a, a new member of the band. 
I'm the next member of the band because I play the console, I play the microphones, <laughs> I play play the monitors. I'm um, so that that's the instrument. Those are the instruments I play, and I become their greatest fan. Wow! And so, uh, I want the best for this project, and I need for them to trust me on that. Yeah. Because if I don't really feel that way, they deserve somebody who does. Yeah, they 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 always say that George Martin was the fifth Beatles, right? What's that? George Martin was the. Fifth, fifth Beatles, Beatles. yes, yes, yes definitely. Beatles. Well, because the producer—that's what it is. Well, and they, you know, they trusted him. Yes, and that's what it takes. I think it turned out just fine for them. <laughs> you think? Yeah. Yes. yes, they did pretty well. I yeah. think they did okay. So yeah. thank you for explaining that. That's really interesting. That's great. There's, there's another uh, part that I would like to approach. Okay. And that I think to me could be a sensitive part, but I think it's interesting part uh, in 2022 to talk the difference with 50 years from the 70s to the Mm -hmm, 2022 mm -hmm. is do you feel that as a woman in that business although you mentioned that for you was not a problem of distinction you never came to your mind well that was in the beginning yes you know when i got into the class um that's you know it never occurred to me that women couldn't do this that's right of course but But now that it's all these years that you you've been doing it, do you think you had to work harder? Because I know, and, and I'm giving this example, and I hear this example. I heard P. Daddy decide said, "Well, you know, I'm an African American. Mm-hmm. I have to work twice harder mm-hmm. because of the the history of the this stigma. country, yeah. the segregation of it." He said, "Do you think that as a producer, being a female, you had?" to experience and as well to develop other skills to be able to uh, work in the, in a male-dominated uh, um, field. Women feel that pretty much about any field they go into. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah, I mean, as a singer, they automatically assume you're dumb. Mm-hmm. It's and true. it's like, I can write your score. So yeah. Yeah. I don't think you need to be making that presumption. Well, but they do. It's yeah. very deep-seated, and women already know to, and I felt this then, um, I had to work twice as hard to get half the recognition is, is what I said to myself. That may not have been uh, accurate. Okay. Um, however, that's how I, I worked. And so I was, I knew I had to be really good at what I did. I could never play the girl card. Um, I wow. could never. Correct. Yeah, I dressed uh, androgynously. Um, uh, I would wear my Westlake Audio T-shirts and <laughs> my glasses, and yeah. and uh, and I did not um, uh, ever date anybody I worked with. Yes. Any of that and. Uh, so there was a lot of kickback to that in the beginning. Um, I, they couldn't understand, a lot of guys couldn't understand why I wouldn't go out with them, even though I had a boyfriend. Yeah. Uh, but so they called me the dyke. Oh, my That's God. Yeah. They'd say, oh, get the dyke in here. And I would, I would laugh because I knew I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh and I God. just thought, well, it was a reflection on them, not me. However, and it wasn't that... Many people, I'm just saying that was one uh, example of what I had to put up with yeah, as probably, a girl assistant. And as not having a boyfriend's one thing, he probably wasn't even that hot, so you wouldn't have gone out with him anyway. <laughs> so, well, you know, come on. Well, I wouldn't. Yeah, well, see, that was the thing. How could she resist me? It oh must my be because God. She, she's you're, into women, you know. Because you're not and, hot. Oh, wow, and that's that was, so low. Well, that's, that's, low that's, that's the, the, I mean, so it, I couldn't even get oh, mad yeah. about it. You yeah, know? I see, I see. But it still was wrong. And um, uh, uh, I just knew that regardless of how they felt when I first walked in the room from the I would say, um, hello, this, I'm Lenise Ben. I will be your assistant on your project. Uh, how can I help you? Where can we get started? And uh, after I got, they got over the big eyes, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, then 
it was absolutely essential that I demonstrated uh, my professionalism and that I knew what I was doing. And as soon as the engineer realized I could make his his life back then, uh, I don't think I ever worked with a female engineer. I don't right. even know one from back then. Um, but once they realized that I did know what I was doing, they could relax a little bit and um, concentrate more on what they were doing. All those things that they needed me to do, I could do. And I've learned to have, uh, to be able to think three steps ahead of them. Okay, if they're going to do this, then that means this is going to happen next and this is going to happen next. And so, so prepare for this, 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 you know, um, make sure all of those things are ready to go to keep the session running smoothly. That's the main job right. of an assistant engineer. And they represent the studio as well as the production team. So they're the one person that does it all. They're the eyes and ears of the studio. So if the artist is, is um, violating the room in some way, um, the they they have to uh, either you know encourage them not to do that thing like set your beer on the console oh you know uh, or um, oh my god or you know smoking they've learned finally the one way to get people to not smoke in the studio was because it just messes with the electronics so much you get I'm all sure. that tar and nicotine on all those sensitive Cold connectors water. so at least you know so if somebody wants to do that you're you're violating the equipment and sometimes you have to bring in the studio manager who says, you know, my home, my house, my rules, right. You know, and, uh, uh, you don't like it. You can leave. But, um, the whole point is to keep things running smoothly and be an asset, not a liability to the session to keep it flowing. And, um, once and so I knew this and I knew I had to be really good or even have good ideas about how to do things if I was asked right you know that always made sure that I was there for them uh, it's a service industry actually you're providing a service for the yeah. artist and and Correct. the client and, yeah. so their needs need to be met and hopefully even more than that and so they feel appreciated and that uh, they want to come back and they'll tell their friends, yeah. you know, um, yeah, come work here, come work with her. Boy, you'll have a great time. Yeah. Like we had a great time. Yeah, exactly. See? You know, that, you'd all... work with me again, wouldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the thing about Fabrice, though, is he doesn't look at, oh, she's a woman. It's like, I don't, it's not that typical viewpoint of the skill. There's a. There's a chick engineer or a chick bass player or a chick no. guitar I mean, player. I yeah. I'm more likely to point that out because mm-hmm. I think it's very unusual. I'm like, yes, girl power, you know, but I just don't, he well, doesn't really you know think what? about it. It's There are a lot more women doing what I'm doing, uh, what uh, the Nowadays, people you know. Nowadays, you mean? Yeah. I mean, there are so many and looking back, um, you know, at first people would say, well, was it a hard thing for you? Well, no, it wasn't just because I did. I expected it to be a certain way. I knew there would be resistance just because, um, you know, I'd always wanted to play on the softball team and they don't let girls. So I always wanted to, you know, in school mm-hmm. or yes. anything like that. Um, and so I understood that male-female thing and just sort of expected a certain amount of it and also to uh, rise above it. And, it, I mean, I wasn't consciously re-educating. I was just demonstrating that there are certain things that are genderless. Um, yeah. People just need to be good at that thing, whatever it is uh-huh. they want to do. Great and And... Um, uh, and I happened to be, I, I'm, I'm an engineer, and I was an assistant engineer. I happened just to be a girl. Right. Um, and so, um, but as I went in there wearing my assistant engineer hat and, um, and attitude and professionalism and um, dressed appropriately and always do, you know, um, because the goal is to achieve that creation and you do whatever it takes to do that as 
efficiently and easily as possible yeah. without other distractions. Correct. And, and, and yeah. that creation is genderless, if you think yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't mean I always wear plain black. I kind of am today. I've got red shoes on. But, uh, <laughs> like you know, once you establish the relationship, you can loosen up a little bit. But from, you know, my first day on any project, if I'm supervising them, if I'm doing post-production, whatever, I make sure that I present myself in the way that I want to be perceived. I see. Mm-hmm. And, and um, because how can you help otherwise if somebody gets a different idea of you yeah. because the way you're presenting yourself, um, that's kind of your responsibility Correct. too. You know, they may have a preconceived idea of, oh, you know, we got, we got a chick in the studio. And, yeah. and uh, well, but that, that goes away pretty quickly once you start working because they don't need you to be a chick in the studio. They need you to be... To deliver. Engineer. To fulfill that, yeah. that position you as an assistant or engineer yep. or producer. You know, it's, mm-hmm. um, that's what matters. So yep. Thank you. Uh, I, I'm glad that you want to... Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I was going to say, um, what I, we know that doors are opening now for women mm-hmm. in this recording, in the recording field. What do you see the future? Do, do you see anything in the future for women's role in this business? Do you think it's going to be more dominant? I mean, what, do, what do you see the future? I think for it's women a lot more o- open um, for everybody, um, gender, color, um, you know, however they identify, everybody, all diversity. Um, because again, uh, with technology being the way it is, uh, we all have tools now to be an, an engineer if we want. Like I've said, um, technology is affordable and portable. And <laughs> yeah. so uh, compared to what it was, oh. so anybody who wants to and has the desire um, has opportunities that didn't exist before just based on the technology, you know, from... Um, you know, t- editing tape and uh, tape machines and all of that, which I love using. I love the sound and I love the process. Yeah. I love the smell. I love the Aww. tactile aspect of it. I, you know, it's it's not just typing and looking at a screen. Yeah. It's it's physical. You know, there's a whole feeling of yeah. again, it's somatic. It has to do with your how your body feels doing it. Um, if you know, and if you know, so that. That's a, something, a skill that I have that I like. Um, but uh, anybody who wants to to do these things, uh, the technology is uh, is there to do it. And there's YouTube instruction and there's workshops oh. and there's things like this. And YouTube because um, there's so much more openness mm-hmm. that I just think the future... Is is bright in the fact that uh, um, it's you know a white straight male industry isn't really that big a deal. Uh, it it's still dominant, but um, it's changing. But, uh, changing all the time, yeah. and and uh, yeah, a lot of people have had to um, you know uh, take the bullet for a few things to, to open the doors for other people. For the future, sure. Yeah. But, uh, mostly, um, it's about being good at what you do yeah. is what is the, the biggest door opener. Because I think if you're in the OR, you don't care if your heart surgeon is a man or a woman, yeah. you just want your heart to or work. whether, you know, they're, straight or gay, gay straight, or whatever exactly. or the color of their skin because yeah, non-binary I, who you know whatever i because i'm with you on that there's something that happens to me when i meet musicians it's as though i and i think maybe growing up i've mentioned this before as a military brat and you're always seeing mixed everything mm-hmm. so it's not a big deal i was raised that way but what happens on a creative level is i, I stop seeing the physical i don't really see anything it's more like a feel yeah if that makes any sense like that makes total sense. i have to stop and go oh he's what oh i didn't even know that i didn't know he's a he's a black guy i mean i didn't i don't see color i don't see any of that stuff i just 
feel like, are we connecting? Does this feel good? What am I, yes. what are we getting from each other? Yeah. Right. Well, and they've proven this, you know, um, uh, music transcends all sorts of stuff. You can have Israelis and Palestinians and, That's right. and then but if one of them's a, a drummer and one of them's a bass player, nobody cares about then the suddenly that the music transcends yeah, you that just and they'll don't play see together. It. We did a podcast on that actually. Yeah. We oh had a, yeah, yeah, so yeah we but did a it's podcast. the truth. It's the you know? truth. And, and you know you can see it in kids. Mm-hmm. When you see there was that video that went viral, I think they were two or three years old. A little I think he was a white boy and a little black boy and they hadn't seen each other for a while and they were friends and they mm-hmm. ran into each other and they were just like embracing. They didn't care about it. You, you don't see well, that as kids. Learned. Yes, it is a learned behavior. Yeah. It's yeah. terrible. 